Well, good morning. I can't see you, but I'm sure you can see me. And I'm glad that we're able to get together again through the miracle of technology. Let me say congratulations to all of our graduates, both those in high school and those in college. We're proud of you guys and gals and uh, just praying for you and the direction that God's going to lead you in the rest of your life. I also want to take an opportunity to say happy birthday to two very special people who happen to have birthdays on this day. Uh, Scott Hooker is how so many years old, 50-something, none of your business, I think is what it is. And uh, William Hahn also is celebrating his birthday today. So I want to wish happy birthday to, to, to these two individuals. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is the solution to the COVID-19 pandemic? What if it's prayer? What if God is seeking to get us to do what he has always asked his people to do, pray? Before you think that's so outlandish, let, let me remind you of the promise God made in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, where, where God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Are you aware of how God prefaced that promise? In verse 13, God says, when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, and then he goes on with the rest of the promise. If you're paying attention, God said, if I send a drought, if I dry up all the rains, if, if there's a famine because of an infestation of, of locusts, if there's a pandemic, a, a pestilence, God says, I invite my people to pray. So, so what if the solution to this pandemic is just simply you and I as God's people humbling ourselves before God, calling on his name, seeking not his hand as much as just seeking him, seeking his face, seeking communion with him as we also turn away from all of our sinful ways. What if that's the solution? I'm convinced it very well could be. And that's why we're going to begin to start talking about prayer. When I talk to people about prayer, some people will say to me, well, I, I don't pray like I ought to because I just really don't know how to pray. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus taught us how to pray. We find that prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but in reality, it's the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer he taught his disciples. Some call it the model prayer because that's what it is. It's a model. But we find that in Luke chapter 11 as well as in Matthew chapter 6. I, I want to look at it this morning from Luke, I mean from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. When Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we come before you this day confessing to you that we need you and praising you and thanking you that you've given us a wonderful means by which we can connect with you. It's called prayer. But Father, we're not as faithful in prayer as we ought to be. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning not just simply how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Put within our hearts an urgency, Father, for you and for communion with you and communication with you. Father, as we seek you for everything we need in life, as we confess that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And Father, I thank you for Jesus, whose death on the cross and resurrection from the grave has made it possible that I can come into your presence because he now is my great high priest who makes all this possible. Give us an appreciation for prayer this morning. Give us an urgency. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The disciples' prayer, the, the model prayer, was not intended by Jesus for us to pray verbatim. Although there's nothing wrong with us as a people of God gathering together and worshiping and praying this. What's wrong is when we pray this without meaning it. We just simply spout it off. We just, we're just saying it by rote. We're just, just repeating by memory, but there's no real meaning in our hearts. But when we mean it from our hearts, we can pray these words and pray them verbatim as long as they're from our heart. And if so, we might discover what I believe to be true, that these words can be life-changing. And these words literally can be earth-shattering. Boy, if anything our world needs today, it's to be shattered. And, and so that God can begin to do in the lives of his people and across the face of this earth of the things that he wants to do. And that's kind of behind the prayer as Jesus teaches us to pray. I need to say something to you also that may be offensive to some of you because this is a prayer that I believe that only a disciple can pray with any kind of meaning. The prayer begins, our father, and, and, and a lot of folks think, well, yes, God's our Father because He's our Creator. But the Bible tells us that only Jesus can make it possible for God to be our Father. John tells us, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. But let's get back to the purpose of the prayer. The purpose of the prayer is primarily to teach us how to pray. So some things that Jesus, though, wanted us to know. He prefaced the prayer with some instructions about how we ought to be praying. There's some things that I believe Jesus wants us to understand about prayer. So if you have your Bibles, go look with me again in chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the, street, in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Then Jesus went on to say, in, in this manner, therefore, pray. So, so what do we need to understand about prayer? Well, one of the first things I would think that we need to understand is that prayer is important. And before you look at me and say, well, yes, obviously. Well, let me just ask you, how important is prayer to you? How important is prayer in your life? Are, are you praying? And are you praying faithfully, day by day, consistently, 
Are, are you praying? I, I'm not talking about the prayer before meal. So for some of us, the, the most bold thing we ask God for is to bless our cornflakes. No, I'm talking about a kind of prayer where we spend time with the Father, seeking to know Him and to know His will and, and to communicate with Him. How often do we do that? How important is that? I'm afraid our behavior betrays our confession that prayer is important. We don't think it's important. If we did, we would be more consistent with it. But it's obvious Jesus knew that prayer was important because Jesus practiced prayer. It was a part of his life. As he began his earthly ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting. It was the habit of his life to rise early in the morning and get away by himself. It was just him and the Lord alone, him and his God, his father alone. He prayed throughout his ministry in special times when there were key moments, when there were decisions that needed to be made, when there were conflicts, when there were crises. The night before he was crucified, he prayed. And he even prayed from the cross. Jesus practiced prayer. Jesus also taught prayer. We have the model prayer as one of the examples. Jesus also expected prayer. Jesus expected that if we're going to be his disciples, that we would be praying. And that's why he says, when you pray. But Jesus also commanded prayer. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. So let me suggest to you that when your king says to you, you ought to do something, he's not making a suggestion. If you're wise, if you're smart, you'll do what your king says you, you ought to do. So prayer is important. It's a vital element in our worship and in our devotion to God, as well as it's a, a vital element in our obedience to God. Prayer is important, but prayer is also important. I mean, powerful. We say that too. Prayer works, although not everyone believes this. There are those that would say, well, I, I prayed once and it, it didn't work. What, what they're really saying is, I prayed and God didn't come through for me the way that I asked him to come through for me. I just want to suggest to you that every time you and I pray, God answers. His answer is going to be yes, it's going to be no, it's going to be maybe, or it might be wait. When you're ready for it, then, then yes, I'll, I'll answer this prayer. The problem's not with prayer. The problem's with us that pray, but we don't believe that. But prayer works. Well, let's be clear. Really, it's God who works and God who works in prayer and through prayer. God many times restricts himself to his behavior, his actions as he waits upon the prayers of his people. And it's almost as if God is allowing us to participate with him in what he's doing. And he says, when you pray, then I'll act. And he invites us to do that. But prayer is powerful. And when we believe and when we answer or when we pray the way that God has ordained that we would pray, God has promised he would answer and, and God does. As a matter of fact, the greatest incentive to prayer many times is answered prayer. Prayer also is a discipline. It's, it's a spiritual discipline. It, it's it, one of those practices in our lives that it enhances our relationship with the Lord. It's one of those practices that helps us to grow, <coughs> excuse me, in our maturity as well as in, our, in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and like all discipline in our lives, discipline requires that sometimes we say no to things we want to do and say yes to things that we 
probably otherwise would not do. Ask an athlete who, who disciplines himself. Uh, he goes to bed earlier at night than maybe his friends are. He would like to be out with them, but he has to say no to that so he can get the rest that he needs. Uh, he says no to certain foods because they're not the kind of foods that are going to really help him to develop the, his body the way it needs to be developed. He's going to say yes to certain foods that everybody else turns their nose up because he knows of the nutritional value to those foods. He, he says yes to waking up early in the morning and working hard, even when it gets painful because he knows no pain, no gain. That's a, and prayer's like that. See, prayer's hard. Somebody said, oh, prayer's simple. Just talk to God. Well, I challenge both, both statements. Prayer is not simple. It's hard. And prayer is more than just talking to God. It is that, but, it, but it's more. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But right now, we focus on the fact it, it, it's just difficult. It, 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 it's hard. I've heard pastor after pastor say, I need to pray more. If at any one point in my life I struggle, it's in my prayer life. And that's true for so many of us, isn't it? It's hard. Why is it so hard? Well, one, one reason is we got opposition. The, Satan does not want to see a saint on his or her knees. If there's one thing that frightens the Satan more than anything else is when God's people get serious with God and start calling upon the name of God. There, there's, as I said, there's power that, that, that's released in that time. Satan doesn't want, he'll do everything he can to distract you from praying. But it's not just Satan. It's something within us that also resists prayer. Prayer is kind of contrary to our self-centeredness and our pride. Because prayer demands that we acknowledge, God, we cannot do this without you. And that, that attitude of we cannot do this, we think we can. And so therefore, if I can do it, why do I need to ask God to do this? Prayer demands time. And we say to ourselves, we're already so busy. But yet those individuals that are, that are successful in their prayer lives are those individuals that have developed a plan, they got a time, they got a place, and a plan that they're going to follow as they pray so that they're consistent and they've carved out that time in which to do that. Let me remind you, it's a discipline that helps us draw near to God. That's what spiritual disciplines are meant to do. There's also some right ways and wrong ways to pray. When the critics of prayer say prayer doesn't work, the problem more likely is not with prayer, but with the prayer, with the one who's praying. Jesus said, there are some problems with prayer. The way you pray. He alluded to one. He didn't come out right immediately. But when he said, when you pray, and that is where the first problem begins, we don't pray. It's, it's really silly to say, prayer doesn't work. Oh, when did you pray? Well, I didn't. It's sort of like the farmer who says, I've given up farming. Why? Well, I, three seasons and, and I didn't get the first grain of corn. Well, how much corn did you plant? Do what? Plant? That's too hard. You know how long it takes to plant corn? If the farmer's not going to plant the corn seed, he shouldn't look for the corn crop. That, that's ridiculous. But how much more ridiculous is it for us when we say prayer doesn't work, but we don't pray? 
One of the other ways that Jesus told us that we need to be careful the way we handle and approach prayer is we need to be careful that we're not praying to be seen and praised by men. In Jesus' day, it was very common to honor someone in the synagogue by asking them to pray out loud in the synagogue. And men clamored for that privilege. But the privilege was not to commune with their heavenly father. The privilege was to be seen by men and to be honored. Jesus called these men hypocrites. Uh, the word literally in the Greek means play actor. And that's what they were doing. With their mouths, they were saying such wonderful things about God, but their hearts were so very, very far away from God. Jesus said, they want the praise of men. They'll get it, but they'll miss out on the greater gift of prayer, fellowship with their heavenly father. Jesus said, don't pray like that. Jesus also said, don't pray like the pagans. The pagans they say a lot of words and their efforts are all efforts to try to, to uh, manipulate, coerce, or, or convince their God. He said they use a lot of words. A lot of times their words don't mean anything. They just, they're just spouting things off, just putting phrases together. And tragically, that happens sometimes to us as we pray. Again, trying to impress somebody else when we ought to be seeking communion with our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, don't pray like that. It, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have an example of, of some pagans who prayed that way. You remember that's where Elijah had challenged the prophets of Baal. Let's, let's find out who the true God is. Either Baal is or Yahweh is God. And so they set up their, their altars they let the prophets of Baal go first and they began to start chanting and, and begging and pleading and, and, and dancing. And for, for th at least three hours, they spent all this time. They, they got so desperate, they began to start cutting themselves, asking their God to send down fire from heaven and to consume the altar. And, and there was crickets. Elijah, however, after they built the altar, had them douse the altar with water 12 times to the point that the, the, the sacrifice is soaking wet. The, the, the moat around the sacrifice is filled with water and he prays a simple prayer and God sends down fire from heaven. Because God doesn't have to be coerced and God doesn't have to be manipulated. We don't have to try to convince God. Jesus said there's wrong ways to pray. There's also right ways to pray. And the first way is to prepare your heart. Some people mis mistakenly think that Jesus said we should never pray publicly for other people to hear us. What he was saying for us is that should not be the reason why we pray. But even if we're praying in public or in private, we need to Go through the spiritual exercise, if not a physical exercise, a spiritual exercise in which we go into the inner person of our heart in order to meet God in that place, blocking the rest of the world out so that we're not concerned about the rest of the world. We're concerned only about God. Two illustrations. You have the illustration that Jesus taught in uh, Luke chapter 18 about the um, Pharisee and the 
tax collector that prayed in the temple and the tax collector prayed. So, I mean, the Pharisee prayed so everybody could see him and notice what a good guy he was. The tax collector blocked everybody else out and cried out to God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Unaware that anybody else was even in the room. A man was praying one time after the prayer was, after the service was over, a lady came up to the pastor. She was hot. She was hot. She was huffy. She says, I could not hear brother Jones when he preached. And the pastor said, that's okay. He wasn't pray, He wasn't praying to you. That's what we need to understand is this attitude of this is between me and God. Get our hearts right. And then also Jesus taught us we need to trust the heart of the Father to know that he already knows what we need. And Jesus is telling us, hey, trust that God is good. Trust that God is willing. Trust that God is able. Do you realize if you pray without that very faith, you're wasting your time? There's some right ways and there's some wrong ways to pray. But one of the things that I think we need to know most about prayer is that prayer is all about your love relationship with your Heavenly Father. Back in the fall of 2017, Seminole First Baptist Church uh, was involved in a spiritual growth campaign, 40 Days of Prayer. We utilized a little book uh, written by Alvin Vandergren. It was uh, a devotional that we used for those 40 days. It was entitled Love to Pray. And in there, he defines prayer for us. This is his definition of prayer. The conversational part of the most important love relationship in our lives our love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was this relationship that Jesus was alluding to when he said, instead of trying to pray to, to, to impress men, get away by yourself into your inner room, shut off all the rest of the world, focus there. Focus on your Heavenly Father. And receive a reward far greater than the praise of men. The reward of just being able to commune with the sovereign creator God of this universe, the redeemer and the lover of your souls. That's the great gift. Someone has said that prayer is not a tool for informing God or changing him. Prayer is the means by which God's people lay hold of God's promises peace and power, gifts which come from their relationship with God. Herschel Hobbes said, prayer is not a battering ram by which we gain entrance into God's treasury. It's a receptacle, a receptacle which we receive, uh, by which we receive that which God already longs to give us. McEachern said that prayer does not overcome the reluctance of God, but opens our hearts so that we might receive Prayer is a loving relationship with God. And the greatest thing about prayer is not an answer, but the gift of God himself to the believer who prays. The answer to prayer is not giving what we ask, but fellowship with God. I believe all, all the things that Jesus wants us to understand about prayer, it's that. Prayer is about a communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the language of a love relationship that God offers you 
when you open your heart to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Gary Myler has written extensively about prayer, very helpful resources that he's produced for us. And he is convinced that the evangelical church is slowly but surely giving up on prayer. And he may be right. But he suggests the reason why is because life has just been too easy for us. That the reason why is because life maybe has been too easy for us. When you think about modern Christianity, especially here in America, life has been pretty easy. When you contrast the way we live with the church throughout the centuries, throughout church history, what Christians endured for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you compare how we live today in America with those that live in countries where it's against the law to, to, to claim the name of Jesus Christ, to, to gather with a group of people in the name of Jesus Christ, we, we really do have it easy. For, for the persecuted church, prayer is not a luxury. Prayer is an absolute necessity. It, it, it's a lifeline. It's providing for them what they need most. It becomes the very air they breathe because they're desperate in prayer, because they're desperate for God. And that may be our problem. We're just not desperate. We're not desperate for the things that God alone can do. But much worse, we're not desperate for God. So my question is, when will we become desperate enough to see God end this pandemic? When will we be desperate enough to see God move in our day and bring revival and free us from our lukewarm and lackadaisical attitudes? When will we become desperate for God himself so that we will pray as did the psalmist, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Christian faith is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. So why are we so careless and negligent about the one discipline that most focuses upon the relationship? If God is allowing COVID-19 in order to get us to pray then turning back COVID-19 is not the greatest gift that God can give us. The greatest gift he can give us, the gift that he most wants to give us, is himself. And when we pray, truly pray, that's what God will give us. So let me encourage you. Let's allow Jesus to teach us to pray how to pray, and to pray. Would you pray with me now? Lord, how I pray that the song that we have sung for the last couple of decades would become reality in our hearts. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. Nothing else will do. For nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. 
Help me find the way. Bring me back to you. Father, help us to focus on you and focus on prayer and the relationship that you have for us in prayer. For Father, that's the greatest miracle that you work in our lives. You come into our lives and fellowship with us. I pray, Lord, we'll let you do it as we'll slow down, as we'll make a priority time to be with you and do what you told Solomon we need to do. Humble ourselves, pray, seek your face and turn from our sinful ways. So you might hear our prayer. You might heal our land. You might revive your church. You might give us yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said this morning that only a disciple can pray this prayer with any meaning. For most believers, the very first prayer we ever prayed that really had any meaning, any impact on our lives was when we prayed and asked Jesus Christ into our lives. Paul tells us, Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Joel told us back in uh, centuries before Jesus walked on the face of the earth that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If like that tax collector, this morning you realize that you're a sinner, you can call out to God and say, God, be merciful to be the sinner. I believe that you did for me through Jesus Christ what you said you would do. You sent him to die for me. He paid the penalty for my sin and he rose again from the grave. So I now turn away from all the things, silly and useless and, and vain things of my life that I might come to you and to surrender you as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. You can pray that prayer right this very moment. And if you're ready to do that, let us help you with your next steps of obedience. In a little bit, you're going to be hearing about how you can make contact with us here at Seminole First Baptist Church. Please do that. We love, we care about you. We want to see you begin to know what we know, a personal relationship with the creator God of this universe. It's the greatest gift that he offers. It's essential. God bless you.